and you appear in the
Now, to pick up where we left off at last, we made it to the book of Mark, um, and it's a short book. It's over pretty quickly, um, but Mark chapter 13 is what we went over just the last time, and um, it's basically the disciples asking Jesus to tell them when the end of certain things would be. Um, they, the way this um, teaching gets confused, molested, um, misinterpreted, maybe even intentionally by some uh, churches, is um, because it'll be tied to end-time prophecies and what are um, the events we should look forward to as far as what's going to happen at the end. But that's not the only thing the disciples ask about. They ask about when will the destruction of the temple be? That's one thing. They ask about their own demise as a second thing. And when will his coming be as the third thing? So three different things. And some of those already happened. Obviously, the um, temple was destroyed. It's completely gone. No, um, Not one stone left upon another, just like he said. Um, the wall, part of the wall is still standing, but that's not the temple. That's not what they were asking about. Um, they met their own demise, just like he told them they would, being betrayed, some even by family members, and being killed, um, all except one, as far as I know, and well, and then the second one that committed suicide. And um, then he told them what signs to look forward to as far as the end of time, um, his second coming, I should say. And um, if you notice, it doesn't correspond with the writings of Revelation too much at all. There's no uh, mention of bowls or trumpets or vials at all. Um, there's the word Antichrist actually isn't even mentioned there either, just so you know. False Christs and false prophets are mentioned, uh, plural, not one in particular and singular. So that's what happened in Mark chapter 13. If you would like, grab your Bible and you can read along with me. We're going to make it to Mark chapter 14. And um, if not, you can just listen in either way. Be blessed. Mark chapter 14, verse 1. After two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. So, um, in case you don't know what it is, the Passover is from the Old Testament. Moses, the patriarch, led. It's it's a celebration of them, them um, the end of their slavery, basically. Um, them being emancipated from slavery in Africa for 400 years. Um, well, their stay in Africa was more than 400 years. It's not clear how long they were slaves there. And when they left, they left basically with reparations. Uh, one of the things that one of the main front runners for this Democratic um, um, primary uh, candidacy uh, dismissed out of hand. So it kind of dismisses him as... Um, from uh, it, it's at least a strike against them on your list of things to look for in a potential presidential candidate. Um, but he's not alone. Another one, um, they, it's a shame. But here's what happened with them their Passover, and it's um, them celebrating them being released from slavery, basically. Um, and you can read about it in the Old Testament, that's what the book of Exodus basically is all about. If you want to read about how they were slaves in Africa. But they said not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. So what you see here happening is a coup forming between the religious community trying to figure out how, in fact, how exactly they should um, handle the Jesus problem. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came, came having an alabaster flask 
a very costly oil of spikenard, and she broke the flask and poured it on his head. So he's basically being anointed by um, one of the women that um, is trying to show her um, ded dedication to him and his teachings, his mission, who he is. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? Um, so uh, what a lot of us call pocket watching now, when you are paying more attention to what someone else is spending instead of focusing on yourself. Um, so you have here the disciples are worried about what, or not the disciples, well, in some, in um, one of the gospels, other gospels, it mentions that it's not just one disciple who says this. But um, at this point, this is saying um, they're wondering why I waste the, um, the expensive perfume. Uh, for it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they criticized her sharply. So you see there, it isn't just one disciple talking about her. It's several, and in one place it's mentioned that it's Judas Iscariot, the one who's going to betray Jesus, who was among those um, wondering why are you wasting that uh, perfume on, on him. And But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a good work for me. So um, the first thing Jesus does is stop the bullying. Because, um, again, it's a patriarchal society even now, particularly at the time of the um, writings, the happenings of the Bible. And then in, also still during the time of the compilation of the Bible. Um, but Jesus is rebuking them for bothering her about it and saying she's doing a good thing. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good, but me you do not have always. So Jesus is saying, if you're so worried about the poor and the needy, then why don't you help them more often? He's saying at any time you like, you can help the poor people, because there's always going to be poor and needy people in the world. Um, so stop bothering the woman while she's trying to do the little part that she can. Sort of reflecting back in the lesson of the... Um, widows two mites um a couple of chapters ago in the book of mark where um jesus said that the widow who gave two mites gave more than all the wealthy people who do gave donations to the temple to the, the synagogue and I, it, I think it was a way of saying that um it was someone who had so little was able to give such give so much of what sustains them that it means more in the big picture than someone who already has plenty and gives whatever they freely feel like giving. It shows more dedication, perhaps, for someone who doesn't have a whole lot to still give something of what they do have. She has done what she could. She's come beforehand to anoint my body. Um, and um, see, I didn't finish reading that. Um, but but she, he's saying that what her role was, was to come there and to anoint him before he faces burial. Um, obviously, because I don't in, don't want to face burial, don't intend to face burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what this woman did will also be spoken of as a memorial to her. So Jesus is saying her legacy will live on just because she did something so generous that other people saw as waste, um, sort of like... Um, it makes me think immediately of these video postings. Only a couple of people see them, but I believe whoever is meant to see them will see them. But um, in general, people would think of it as just a waste of time, particularly when 
you get blocked from the platform altogether with no notice at all and sort of have to begin again, but not really. Um, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priests to betray him to them. So you can see one of the 12 disciples, Judas, has decided to um, turn coat and become a traitor. So when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought opportunity to betray, to con he sought how he might conveniently betray him. So, um, um, so one of the things that's not mentioned here is that Judas is happy about this because they promised to give him money. 30 pieces of silver is um, what uh, another one of the Gospels mentions. And then if you believe in the prophecy of the Old Testament, um, the 30 pieces of silver or basically the price of a slave, which you could purchase a slave for, is what um, was prophesied that Jesus would be betrayed for. And then... Um, some people who believe that believe that this is a fulfillment of that Old Testament prophecy. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? So one of the things that they celebrate, how one of the ways they celebrate the Passover is by this unleavened bread um, ceremony. And unleavened just basically means bread that doesn't have any yeast in it uh, or no baking powder nothing in to make it rise. So it's sort of a flat bread, which you might think of as like a pita bread, but probably even thinner than that. Um, and um, so that's what, it's tied into the Old Testament um, Passover narrative when they're freed from the slavery in Egypt. They're um, told to take unleavened bread, something that can be cooked quickly instead of needing a whole lot of time to rise in the oven, like um, sandwich bread, for instance, needs. Um, and that's because they were going to, it was going to happen quickly and going to happen so fast that they weren't going to have time to wait for it to meet, to rise. With the yeast, they're going to have to cook it up quickly and keep be on the move, which is what ended up happening. Um, so that's sort of preparing for that festival now um, and asking Jesus, where does he want them to get ready for it? So he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. So Jesus is sort of letting them know things are already prepared for you when you walk the path. Stick to the path that I tell you. And as you do, you're going to encounter the things I already have set up for you. Sort of like how I've said before um, in the Zelda Adventures of Link's games, how you're told to go to a certain city and go meet a certain person and they'll be carrying vials of this and you'll be able to pick up magic for that. That sort of same sort of thing is sort of a biblical allusion to the same sort of uh, setup where Jesus is sending them on a mission and letting them know certain provisions will be there waiting for you. Do as I tell you. Um, and whatever, wherever he go, whenever, wherever he goes in, Say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where's the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? So Jesus is saying, this is what you tell the person, basically the master of the house, once you reach the location where I've sent you to. Then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. They're made ready for us. So Jesus is letting them know I've made all the plans and preparations. It'd be sort of like us if you were to book a trip online through your favorite travel site and make all the arrangements so that when you get there, all you have to do is pick up the keys to your car, pick up the card for your hotel room, 
and pick up your travel plans for whatever it is you're going to do. Jesus is letting them know, I've already arranged everything, just go there and basically claim it. And his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them. And they prepared a Passover. So just like Jesus told them it would be, the reservations were made and um, they walked right into them. In the evening, he came with the 12. So then after um, after um, night falls, which in case you don't know it, that's when another day starts. So again, like I mentioned, if you go to the narrative of Genesis and how some preachers will try to pack um, entire eons into the first chapter and first verse when um, they can't be, since if you just keep reading, it'll say, and this was the first day. So you couldn't pack years and years and millennia of years into that first verse, because if you keep reading, it tells you when the first day was. But um, but so that you know, there was darkness before there was light. So when they count days in the Bible and even in the Hebrew, um, in the Israel, in the Hebrew faith, um, it's morning. Mornings are counted from night until dark. That's how you count the days. So there was darkness first. Then there was light. That's the first day. And you could see that when you read the account of Genesis, if you want to research it, just so you'll see I'm not lying to you. Now, as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. So Jesus even knew not only that the crucifixion was going to uh, arrive for him, he'd already predicted it to his disciples and the betrayal that they would betray him. Uh, he's even told Peter that he would deny him. And now he's even telling them that uh, one of them is about to betray him again. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one by one, Is it I? And another said, is it I? So they're all sort of in disbelief, wondering, well, who, which one of us would betray him? And um, sort of in disbelief, can't believe any of them would actually do that. Excuse me. Then he answered and said to them, it is one of the 12 who dips with me in the dish. So if you could imagine them sitting at a table, having a last supper, and there's a dish, maybe a sauce dish or a side dish. And um, they both go for it at the same time. So that he's given one of the disciples, and, and if you read in the book of John, it's John who he tells that it tells this message to that if he, it's the one who dips with him in the dish. So of all the disciples sitting there, only that disciple John knew who he was referring to, but even then didn't necessarily understand or know what he was talking about as far as the betrayal and how things would unfold. Then he answered and said to them, it is what the twelve dips with me in the dish. The son of man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. So Jesus is saying, excuse me, that it would be better um, for um, Judas if he'd never even been born than to go down in history, basically, as um, one of the 12 closest disciples who walked with Jesus, only to turn on him. And they, um, but notice that doesn't say that he's going to be in hell. In fact, if we, like we said before, um, Jesus told them that they'd sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, um, sort of, that'd be their role, the 12 disciples' roles in the hereafter. 
So that tells you a couple of things, that not only is there room for um, the Israelites who um, didn't ne don't necessarily convert to Jesus, uh, probably to be judged by these 12 who, um, well, they're not all Israelites, but some of them are. But at any rate, that's what Jesus said their role would be. And then it's, that give, reinforces that it's not our place to judge, particularly something um, like someone's faith. Um, and their relationship with God. But um, Jesus is letting them know um, that that kind of treachery is uh, worse. Um, it'd, be, it'd be worse to be guilty of that kind of treachery and be better for that person if they'd never even been born in the first place than to be the one to stab the person who's come to save you in the back. Imagine how that would be. That'd be crazy. Like if you were stuck in a fire and the person rescues you from the fire and then gets you out of the fire and then you turn around and kill that person. It's it's cold-blooded. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. So what's happening here is um, basically what Christians do um, when it comes to having communion or um, taking the Holy Sacrament, as some call it. Basically, Rian, um reaffirming faith in the shed blood and broken body of Jesus Christ by breaking bread and drinking wine as symbolic um, points of contact with the body and blood of Jesus Christ, sort of in, remember, in remembrance of him and um, the crucifixion. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. So um, the communal part of this is happening where they share the same cup and they share the same bread. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. So he's letting them know that it's the breaking of the bread represents the breaking of his body. Drinking of the blood represents, uh, I mean, drinking of the wine represents the uh, sharing and the fact that he shed his blood. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The thing I think is important to notice about that is that um, when he says the fruit of the vine, it, he could be talking about wine specifically here. Yeah, he must obviously be talking about wine specifically here because um, in a couple of the other gospel narratives of um the crucifixion, you'll see that he's given fruit of the, the vine. It's a different type of fruit. It's the sour wine um, or vinegar or poor men's wine, as some people say it is. All, all of them, and one way or the other, are um, products of the great product of fruit of the vine, in a sense. So I think here he's specifically talking about, um, you know, traditional wine, how we think of wine. And then I think it's, he's also thinking about, he's talking about it in that sense, because once he resurrects and appears to the disciples, although he shares meals with them, um, fish in one case, um, at least in two different gospels, it's mentioned that he shares fish um, as meals with them. There's no mention of the wine. So that makes me think that um, that's another way of knowing that the kingdom of God is not in existence in the sense that he was talking about when he says that some of you who are standing there will not see the um, 
will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. I think that's that's a, another way of knowing that that hasn't happened yet, because in no point did he have that wine with them like he said he would, um, new with them in the kingdom of God. And new wine, in fact, that lets you know there that he's not talking about the wine that he was given on the cross. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So they basically had some worship, um, had communion, sang a song, and they're headed on out. And in case you don't know it, this is, like I said, Mark is a short book. They're heading toward um, the night of the arrest before the crucifixion. Um, then Jesus said to them all, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So Jesus is reflecting back there to the Old Testament again, um, letting them know that they're about to fulfill an Old Testament um, passage, prophecy, if you will. Um, it's one in Zechariah, the book of Zechariah, chapter 13, if you want to read it yourself. Um, and it's basically saying there that this is what God is foretold he's going to do. He's going to strike the shepherd, being Jesus, and the sheep. Uh, will be scattered, basically, the disciples. And that's pretty much exactly what's going to happen with the betrayal, which is pretty much about to happen to them right now. Um, but after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So he's letting them know that those things are going to happen. And they probably don't understand what he's saying, raised. He means raised from the dead. But he's telling them after he's been raised, he's going to go before them to Galilee. So basically letting them know the Galilee is going to be the place to meet up again once it's all complete. But Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. So um, Peter is one of the disciples, one of the fishermen, and he's um, confidently affirming that he's not going to be stabbing Jesus in the back. So that's not going to happen. Uh, and Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. So uh, Jesus replied to him right back to let him know. He, I guess to let him know he, he appreciates his heart and his. Thank you. 